You are listening to a Natural Products Insider Podcast. With Sandy Almendares, Editor-in-Chief. Brought to you by Supply Side East, April 9 through 10 in Secaucus, New Jersey. Phoenix office, freshly home from Natural Products Expo West 2019 in Anaheim, California. And I'm so excited to be sitting here with two Expo West newbies. They just got back from their first show. I'm with Connor Lovejoy, who is our assistant editor, and with Alex Smolikoff, who is our editorial coordinator. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Horia. Hello, hello. So while um, Connor and Alex are on my team, they are editors, they went to Expo West as part of the standards team. So that is where they went, I mean, I'll let them tell you more about it, but they went to different booths throughout the show, gathered material, and brought them back to the standards team to ensure that all marketing materials um, met our standards and that the ingredients that people brought uh, met the standards and, and so forth. So let's just start with telling us a little bit about what you did, how many people were on the team, and just how much work you did. It was a lot of work. Um, everybody, the first thing everybody told me, because it was my first show, was how big the show is and to prepare yourself for it. And I guess there's no better way to see how big a show is than to kind of be responsible for seeing the entire thing. Um, so it was, what was it, maybe eight of us total? Yeah, Connor and I. And, nine, yeah. yeah, eight or nine of us. Um, each day we broke the show into basically quadrants and sections. Uh, and our job was to go to each booth in our section and collect whatever marketing materials, promo materials, flyers, sell sheets really anything made out of paper that they were giving away. Um, and we put each one in its own envelope, marked off which booth it was, and uh, eventually gave that back to the standards team and they'll review it to make sure that all of the literature kind of passes their their tests. And so were the standards, were the team reviewing it on site and then people would go back later or is this for in the future? None of the materials we collected were, were reviewed in real time, okay. but if there were major problems with you know, big prominent displays at certain booths, those were addressed more in real time, anything that really, really stood out. But the materials themselves that we gathered, I don't think anybody was looking at those until after the show. There's just too much of it. Right, right. And so there was 3,500 roughly booths, nine people. That You guys covered a lot of ground. So it's definitely <laughs> given me a newfound appreciation for the, uh, the folks over at New Hope Network because it just makes me realize how much work goes on behind the scenes of Expo West that you don't really see even though they're technically putting it together, they're really monitoring it step by step to make sure that there's nothing fishy or anything under the radar going on. It's a constant process. Uh, and it just gave me a newfound appreciation that they're visiting every single booth. Uh, for the most part, they're still interacting with every exhibitor uh, and they're, they're making their presence known uh, and known that there isn't a standard to be upkept at this show. Uh, so yeah, I, was, I really like that a lot. I mean, it is such a huge production and uh, it takes it takes an army and uh, <laughs> that's true and uh, you guys yeah. did definitely in your small team did, did so much work so let's talk about some of the trends that you saw while you were doing the standards and what uh, maybe problematic issues you ran into you mentioned CBD to me as as every one of these podcasts is going to cover CBD so what what was it like 
doing that? CBD was actually the only sort of ingredient or product that we were told to look out for ahead of time. Um, we were asked to sort of alert the higher-ups to every CBD booth just because I think those needed some extra scrutiny. Um, and we could tell that there were booths that had clearly been given guidance before the show who either did or did not listen to that guidance intentionally or otherwise. Um, I know there was one booth that, I mean, they were there with like vape pens and vape um, you know, pods and that was obviously not allowed and they were very quickly asked to either put that away or, or leave. Um, but CBD was definitely on everybody's radar um, because there's just, it's so gray that entire area. Um, and so we were actually asked to, to point those out. And so somebody did personally go to every single CBD booth to sort of really give it a once over as opposed to just the collection of materials to be reviewed later. Um, so that was Michelle Zerbeeb. She was, she was going around to, I mean, she was constantly running in every which direction trying to cover all of the, of the 3,500. There must have been hundreds of booths that, that advertise CBD in some one way or another. Um, so that was a big one that we were on the lookout for. She was essentially the executive pen when it came to anything involving CBD. So, I mean, she she should really get the, the real MVP award for going <laughs> to each of those booths and really giving it a once-over. So, yeah, she, she played a huge, huge part. Yeah, I, I actually sat next to her at lunch one day and really was like, what what's the, the line in the sand that we draw with CBD? Because per FDA, it's not a legal dietary ingredient. It's not a legal ingredient at all. Like, so... It's technically illegal everywhere, but it's the force of this within the industry is so large that I, I said to her, we, we couldn't necessarily have the show without CBD. And she said, well, we could. We choose to have it. So I guess that's a, that's a good point. Per our standards, every CBD product needs to be reviewed beforehand. And nothing else really needs to be reviewed beforehand. You can't um, market isolates. As, it needs to be a full spectrum. Hemp oil is okay, as far as I understand. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting thing and uh, uh, something that we want to make sure as a company that we're not promoting, you know, the any drugs or any anything for a drug-like manner because um, that's really important that we, we uphold that standard. That's what I found I think really interesting was that I I asked because I knew that you know CBD really shouldn't be there at all and basically the answer was yeah but if they're going to be let's make sure that they're here in the best way possible and that they're not trying to mislead anybody with what they have and kind of not stepping over whatever that imaginary line is um, so that was interesting that there was no real boundary but we kind of or at least Michelle knew when that boundary was crossed over um, so that was interesting and of course with the speed at which we had to visit each individual booth in order for everyone to get crossed off the list uh, sometimes you just had to collect material and go about your ways and stuff, but for the booths that did have CBD marketed specifically, I kind of hung around and kept an ear out to see what the actual you know representatives were saying to consumers visiting the booth, and they were very, very adamant, of including, if including the asterisks, right, saying, this is full spectrum, this is not isolate, you know, like... Mm trying to make sure that they're covering all of their bases. So at least that was good for the companies that were the ones that we want at Expo West. Right. Yes. Love it. I love it. Are there any other trends that you noticed on the standards team? Um, one other big one was just the use of approved seals and, and logos. Um, you know, there's the non, the verified non-GMO project. There's the official organic seals. Um, and so there were definitely some companies that were trying to pass off sort of their own versions of those um, without getting the proper approval to use the legitimate ones. Um, and so those were a, a big point of contention, and, and those were things that needed to be taken down immediately. Um, I know a couple of booths were told to remove their marketing materials from their um, exhibit because they were using you know, seals that 
they weren't using seals that they weren't allowed to. They were using seals that they basically created out of thin air to mm-hmm. deceive other people into thinking they looked like more legitimate ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big one. Um, like I said, the organic, the non-GMO, vegan, you know, things, seals like that. So for me, uh, I was trying to go around specifically looking for any trends, you know, trying to think about this podcast specifically. But, you know, at the end of the day, I thought, well, you know, the biggest trend that was, you know, slapping me in the face everywhere I went was honey. Honey was around every single corner. And it wasn't just honey being, I guess, advert or offered as just pure honey, but it was like spreads. It was in juices. It was in, you know, consumer products all over all over the uh, wide spectrum offered. And uh, particularly this Manuka honey, which I have a little canister here from Melora Labs. So Manuka honey was probably the hottest honey I saw too. There was like over t- 10 booths that I saw specifically market- marketing Manuka. And not in the sense that it's consumable, but in the sense that it's cosmetic or it's specifically isolated as honey. So the interesting thing about Manuka is Manuka is a tree in New Zealand that produces a type of sap, right, that has technically, it does have studies behind it to show that it has antibacterial and anti-inflammatory properties, right? And so what the bees do is they go and take the sap from these trees and produce the honey. So it essentially does the job of potential, you know, formulators or, you know, products that use this honey to put it into something. It's already in the honey. Um, But the really tricky thing was it's a slippery slope because for as many booths that did have this Manuka honey offered, there's not a whole lot of actual studies backing it. I mean, it's in its real infancy in figuring out what, how deep this anti-inflammatory and antibacterial properties go. So it was really interesting. Like this Manuka honey specifically talks about MGO, right? And so the big, the big ingredient produced by this Manuka tree is called methyl glyoxyl. If you've ever heard of that before, that was expertly done. Yeah, yeah I'm exactly. So, impressed. so what they're doing is essentially telling people how many parts I can't even pronounce this methyl glyoxyl. I always tried to look it up. I couldn't find anything. It's essentially how many parts are actually in the honey. But here's the issue: all the studies that I personally read after I talked to these, you know, representatives, it doesn't exactly tell you at what. Um, dosage it's actually effective that's where the slippery slope is so even though these people are these marketers are claiming that hey you need to hit this many parts to get the supposed benefits I mean it was in everything it was in face washes foot creams and things like that trying to hit they're, they're essentially telling you that you need this much to hit this efficacy level but the efficacy level doesn't exist technically because it's so it's it's in its infancy. But I thought it was interesting. I guarantee you that the next Expo West is going to have way more Manuka honey products offered as studies, you know, more and more studies start to come out and really solidify and, you know, provide a foundation for how viable it is to actually have this honey in your diet. You heard it here first. <laughs> All right. Any other products or any other trends or fun products, your favorite product you tasted? I thought it was really interesting how many companies are sort of trying to go the route of instead of necessarily just feeling intrinsically good by taking them, like the actual health benefits of whatever product you might be trying um, is the extrinsic value. Um, There were a lot of companies that were um, allowing that were sort of allowing you to incorporate your own purchasing of their product with some sort of charitable work. And so there was one specifically it's called Soulful. Um, it's a 
the what the, the sample they gave me was oatmeal. It looked like they'd had a lot of different oat and grain products, but um, they asked if I wanted a sample, and I said, oh, you know, no thank you. I've got my hands full. And they said, well, if you take a sample, we'll donate a sample to a food bank. And so, of course, I, I took one, and, and they actually they had a nice big map of the United States, and they'd give you a push pin, and you could choose which city you wanted your food bank donation to go to. Um, and they their packaging also says that they donate on a one-to-one basis um, for everything they sell. Um, which was really cool um, and sort of followed the same as there was a bar, um, This Bar Saves Lives, um, which right there in the name kind of tells you what it is where, you know, they also will donate a meal to a, a hungry child in need for every bar that they sell, sort of following that Tom's Shoes trend, which was interesting because I actually spoke to somebody who was a representative from This Bar Saves Lives and the founder of Tom's Shoes is on their board, um, which makes perfect sense to me. So it seems like they're, you know, along with whatever benefits people are trying to get personally for themselves, um, this idea that, you know, if I buy this product, I'm putting good out into the world, um, I think was a, a big selling point on a lot of products and, and something I think that we're seeing more and more of. Yeah, I saw a couple of companies like that as well. I saw by the Natera booth, and they have a partnership with Convoy of Hope. And every bag of product that you buy, uh, they will feed one orphan. So they have orphans around the world and you, uh, they are in these schools. So that it's actually in the school. So they know that they're coming to a place where they can get education because they might not, or education and a meal, they might not always be able to get that at home. Um, also a winner of a Nexty's Editor's Choice Award was a company called Clean Cause, which has an organic sparkling matcha. Um, 80% of the company um, is made of recovering addicts, and they donate to other causes that help recovering addicts. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. Yeah, that's so really cool. I mean, Expo West has always been, this industry has always been a, a place for mission-based companies. I mean, we all just want to do, do good for the world for our products. And, uh, Essentially and a giving safe back. place. Yeah, yeah so uh, it's really cool. And I'm sure there was many more that we, we weren't able to get to. Yeah, I think people are maybe just speaking for myself, but when you're told, you know, if you buy this product, you're doing good for the world or doing good for the environment, they're all kind of very vague. And you're like, well, how am I doing good for the world or the environment? How am I, you know, what sustainability programs are there? What am I actually doing if I'm buying this product? So by attaching a very specific, if you buy this product, we're donating to an orphan in need or to a food bank or to, um, you know, a third world country. When you know exactly what's being done, um, I think it adds sort of a, a reason to buy the product, which obviously is very smart. Absolutely. I agree. That actually totally plays into my little product that I chose as my favorite. Um, playing into the whole honey concept, that's what I was looking for walking Expo West. And I found this uh, company called Me and the Bees Lemonade. And uh, when I walked up to talk to their representative, it was this little girl. It was this little teenage girl, right? And uh, she's like, hey, this is Me and the Bee Lemonade. And the big thing about it is I started this company when, when I was a kid. And essentially, I used my grandmother's flaxseed lemonade recipe. So already you're starting from an interesting you know, start point. And she's like, well, you know, then I, you know, as I was drinking this lemonade, at the same time I was stung by a bee. So I thought, wow, that's kind of crazy. But then she had fascination with the bee. So she wanted to include or like honey from bee producers around her, you know, neighborhood to put it into the lemonade to actually sweeten it. So she took this idea to Shark Tank, right? Of course, huge show. And uh, one of them bought it and decided to put the you know money down, or not bought it, but decided to support it and put the money down to, to get it going. And now it's totally huge, and it's uh, nationally distributed around the, the country. But the idea is that if you buy this lemonade, it's essentially buy a bottle uh, and you save a bee, 
right? So when you buy a bottle of this lemonade, a percentage of the proceeds go to uh, organizations around the country dedicated towards helping uh, grow honeybee populations, which of course, you know, at this point in time, everybody and their grandmother knows about how, you know, honeybees are, you know, around the world are being threatened by, you know, uh, tons of different factors. But I thought that was crazy. Again, playing into needing the specific, you know, reason why this is giving back, I thought that was really cool. Awesome, that is great. Everyone yeah. loves a good story. Everybody does, yeah, and the, fa and the fact that she's still in it. Because technically she's the co-founder, so. Wow. Little, little business person, very philanthropic, huge, huge uh, history and huge future. <laughs> yeah. And everybody does love saving the bees. I mean, there's so many natural products that rely on bees. I mean, I went up to Nashville a few weeks ago for the Almond Board of California's culinary tour, and one of their major sustainability programs that they're working on is related to honeybees because they rely on these bees to pollinate the almond trees, um, which is typically, I guess, their first step in their yearly migration. So they start with the almond trees. So it just seems like there are so many products. Honey, obviously, you think honey, you think bees, but I think there's just so many products that rely on what on a healthy bee population. So I'm actually, I'm surprised I didn't see more products that were sort of tied into to bee programs, but maybe they're out there and I just didn't notice them. Right. I agree, you need to, because you know, brands need to start establishing this connection with consumers that bees do way more than just honey, the sweet stuff. They, you know, contribute to so many different things ecologically. Uh, and I think that's a great angle for, like you said, a ton of different products. Yeah. Use that angle. I never would have thought that the entire, basically 80% of the almonds that we eat in this country come down to like one swarm of honeybees every year um, and whether or not they're healthy enough to pollinate. That's something to keep an eye out for the next Expo West to yeah. see if anybody's hopped on that. Not a trend, but I mean, hopped on the effort to give back to bees, you know, non-honey-wise. Well, thank you so much uh, for, of course, going to Expo West and to gathering these trends and helping with the standards team. Thank you. You're very welcome. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud accounts. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side East, April 9 through 10 in Secaucus, New Jersey.